We're going to keep peering into the mirror of God's word today. So I kind of feel like this chapter in James is a little bit like walking into a bathroom in a public building with the really bright fluorescent light. And you're like, wow, I didn't look that bad at home. (laughs) So this mirror will really expose some stuff that you don't like about yourself, but that is God's goodness to us. He sees the ugly and the bad and how it's poisoning us and other people, and so he lets you see it for what it is, and he gives you a chance. Once, now that you know, you can do something about it. So James 3 is at the center of the book, and I think as its location would suggest, it's it is central to understanding the purpose of the book. So the chapter actually has verbal and thematic links to every other section that comes before and after it, and I'll point some of those out as we go along, so maybe keep your journals handy. So understanding this chapter is critical to understanding how our living and working faith grows, how it grows up to become this steadfast, merciful, holy, and perfect character of God. And spoiler alert, it's going to take the wisdom of God. But as none of us has reached that goal of perfection yet, James 3 begins by warning us that there is still something inside of us that betrays us. This thing undercuts our faith, it stunts our growth, and not just our faith and growth, but it can really undercut the faith of the people around us and do real damage to them. And this thing, of course, is the tongue. And though it can be used powerfully for good, like think of a good pastor. So a good pastor, like a bit in a horse's mouth or like a rudder on a ship, a good pastor with his words can direct a whole church in the right direction. But a pastor can also direct a whole church right into the storm if he speaks foolishly. The tongue, James tells us, though it's little, it boasts great things. And so this chapter is a double warning for us. It's a warning about the words we speak, and it's a warning about the wisdom behind the words we speak. And the warning is for everybody. So verse 1 does begin with a sober warning, especially to teachers, because they do have a broader influence. More people hear their words. James expands that warning to include everybody in verse 2. He says, For we all stumble in many ways, and if anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able also to bridle his whole body. So he seems to indicate here, if you could manage to control your speech, that means you are perfect. And that word perfect, remember we, we saw it already, James used it back in 1.4 when he talked about the effect of trials in our lives. Perfection is the goal, but no one is there yet. And one of the ways we know no one is there yet is because we all still stumble in what we speak. But did you notice that word bridle? We've actually seen that again. So this is another one of those textual links back to passages that have come before. We saw that word in chapter 1, 26, where James first speaks of the marks of a living faith. He says, if anyone thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. And now in chapter 3, he's going to show us why this is true 
why bridling our faith, our tongues, excuse me, is so crucial to our faith. Okay, so knowing that we'll never be able to perfectly bridle our tongues this side of heaven shouldn't make us give up trying. So remember, growth. We are looking for growth. That is the earthly goal. Perfection comes in the next world, but while we're here, the, we want to see growth. And James, after he has done scaring us half to death about ever opening our mouths again, he is going to show us how we can grow, not just in bridling our tongues, but also in bridling our whole bodies too. All right, so let's dig in. We have a double warning. First, a warning about the words we speak. So we've established that the tongue can be used for good. The problem then is a double-mindedness that makes us double-tongued. And I went a little overboard on the Ds, as you will, as we, you will notice as we progress through the outline. Okay, but there's a double-mindedness that produces a double-tongued in us. Verse 10 says, from the same mouth come blessing and cursing. These things ought not be. There's a verbal link in this text I also want you to see. So if you go back to 1.8, there's a word there that we also see in 3.8. So in 3.8, James says the tongue is a restless evil. That word restless is the same word translated as unstable back in 1.8. This is where James describes the double-minded man. He says he's like a wave being tossed in the wind, and he is unstable in all his ways. Same word as restless. So when we use our tongues for evil, we are double-minded, and we are just like those waves being tossed back and forth on the wind, and we are on unstable ground. The tongue, though, is also deceitful. Its size, it's little, so it might tempt you to think that how you use it is inconsequential. But remember the power of the horse's bit in a ship's rudder and the potential, James talks about, for one small spark to ignite an entire forest? Don't be deceived. Your tongue holds great power. And if you don't bridle it, According to 126, you deceive your own heart. You are lying to yourself if you think your words have no consequence, and you may not even know it. James also wants us to see that the tongue is dangerous and deadly. He calls it untamable. It's more difficult to tame than even wild beast. He compares it to poison and says the source of its evil is what? It's hell itself. I think the real genius of this text is how James reduces all kinds of evil speech down to one five-letter word. Did you see it? It's in verse 5. Even though our tongues are small, what do they do? They boast. It boasts great things. So let's park on that word boast for just a minute, because what I want you to see is that boasting, which James also links with lying, this is really a perfect shorthand label to describe all the evil speech that comes out of our mouths. Drop down to verse 14. So in this verse, James connects boasting with two particular motives. It says, For if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. And I think this is a good verse to hide in our hearts because here James is linking the evil words we say with two all-encompassing sins, jealousy 
and selfish ambition. So let's just kind of test his theory and think. What would cause you to curse another image bearer? Anger? You feel threatened by them in some way? Maybe they've humiliated you? They put you down and you want to be up here? Or maybe you're too spiritual to curse someone, but you might kind of subtly cast doubt on her character in conversation. Why would you do that? Is it not jealousy? Is it not an ambition to elevate yourself or, and humble the other person? Make yourself her superior? Could you be jealous of someone richer, wiser, prettier, more righteous, more influential than you, and you want what they have, or you at least want people to say all the things they say about her. You want them to say them about you? <laughs> Jealousy, selfish ambition. What would cause you to assume the role of judge over another person? Might you think you're better than she is? Or think back to James 2. What would cause you to say to somebody, sit at my feet, or depart when she's starving and naked and you have food and clothing to share? Might you consider her life of little value? It has less worth than yours. This is selfish ambition. Why might you use flattering speech? Or maybe the humble brag? Do you want something from that person you're flattering? Do you put yourself down hoping somebody else will raise you up? This too is selfish ambition. Think back to chapter 1, verse 13. What might cause us to accuse God of trying to trip us up by tempting us? Could it be we want to blame God for our sin instead of ourselves? And now we are guilty of judging God. What could be more selfishly ambitious than making yourself God's judge? And isn't that what grumbling is? You don't like what God has chosen for you, so you judge him in your complaining. It's all selfish ambition. We'll see next week in chapter 4, if you want to flip there, that James, in verses 11 and 12, James warns us about making ourselves both the lawgiver and judge when we speak evil against our brothers. But he's quick to say, no, there is only one lawgiver and there is one judge. How ambitious of you to put yourself in that position. And then in 4.16, we're going to see that word boasting again. James says it's boasting to declare. Tomorrow, we're going to go into town, and we're going to do this and this, and we're going to make money. He says, no, that's evil, boasting, as if you can control the future. I could go on. Almost every section of this letter addresses an evil speech habit that we are prone to, and the jealousy and the selfish ambition that's behind those evil speech patterns. But then we'll see in a moment, every chapter also offers the right, a beautiful, humble alternative. But James reduces all our evil speech to boasting rooted in jealousy and selfish ambition. We sometimes call it pride. And it runs deep inside all of us. If our words breathe out poison to those around us, it is because the poison of pride is still inside of us. And the source of that poison is something James wants us to reckon with. 
I told you he gives us a double warning in chapter 3, so we've already had the warning about the words we speak, but now he wants to warn us about the wisdom behind the words we speak. So let's look at verse 14 again. So if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. And I think this verse is just calling us, if you recognize these things are in your heart, bridle your tongue. Don't, don't say the thing you were about to say. But also I want you to see how he is linking boasting with lying. He did this back in chapter one. He's doing it again here. Do not boast and be false to the truth. They are the same thing. When we have selfish ambition in our hearts and we presume to put ourselves above other people or even above God, it's a lie. It's not true because that is not our true loca- that is not our true status. Okay, but moving on. If these things are in your heart, you should know, keep looking at verse 14, that this is not the wisdom that comes from above, because it is another wisdom entirely. This wisdom is earthly, it is unspiritual, and it's demonic. The wisdom behind pride and boasting, James tells us, originates in the fire of hell. The kind of wisdom, this kind of wisdom, actually proceeds from the mouth of demons. And I, reading this chapter this week made me wonder if this is what inspired Lewis to write the screw tape letters. But you can see then why James uses the imagery he does to address our speech. You say you are a Christian, then how can the fire of hell come out of your mouth? You're a fig tree, huh? Then what are these olives doing on your branches? Or you're supposed to be a spring of fresh water, and you are killing people with the salty water that is coming out. Well, when we allow this earthly, demonic wisdom to guide us, selfish ambition and jealousy thrive in our hearts. And do you know what the result is? Look at verse 16. Disorder, some translations say chaos, and every vile practice. So what won't a jealous and ambitious person do to get ahead? This kind of wisdom, demonic wisdom, results in unbridled evil. And James warns us, if you give any quarter to that kind of wisdom, you ought to know you are playing with hellfire. But there is another kind of wisdom the kind of wisdom that allows something besides pride and jealousy and ambition to thrive in your hearts. Look at verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So while demonic wisdom encourages the growth of jealousy and selfish ambition, this better wisdom encourages the growth of something else. It encourages the growth of meekness. So now I want to park on that word for just a bit. So meekness is sometimes translated gentle. So in Matthew 11, the text I read last week, Jesus describes himself as gentle or meek and lowly in heart. It's the same word. In other places, the same Greek word is translated humility. And I like the way I think Doug Moo is spot on with his definition. I'll read that to you. Meekness is a healthy understanding of our own unworthiness before God, 
So it's a healthy understanding of our own unworthiness before God, but it is also a corresponding humility and lack of pride in our dealings with our fellow men. Another theologian describes meekness this way. It's the yielding of oneself in ready teachability and responsiveness to God's word. And that sounds just like James 1.21, where we are told to receive the implanted word with meekness. So this word is the opposite of jealousy and selfish ambition. It's, a, it's an attitude of our hearts. It's a heart that at once recognizes our unworthiness before God, and it responds to God by submitting to his word, and it responds to others with humility. So as you can see, it is the polar opposite of this pride, this selfish ambition and jealousy that thrives when the demonic wisdom is what is guiding us. And it is, it's the polar opposite because its source is as far removed from the fires of hell as you can get. The source of meekness is the wisdom that is from above. It, in contrast to the earthly, unspiritual, and demonic wisdom, this wisdom is heavenly. It is spiritual. It is divine. It proceeds from the mouth of God. Now, there is a chart on your handout contrasting these two wisdoms, one of which will be the source of every word you speak. So let's walk through that chart now. So two kinds of wisdom. There's a wisdom from above, and think back to James 1.17 about the father of lights and every good and perfect gift comes down from above and wisdom is one of those good and perfect gifts. But the other wisdom is from below. It's earthly. It proceeds from the realm of the evil one. The wisdom from above is pure. Now, I, I read this week, I thought this was interesting. Um, the the succession of descriptions of the wisdom from above are they're arranged this way largely because in the Greek they're alliterated. So we don't they're not alliterated in English, but everybody agrees that pure is the all-encompassing description of the wisdom from above. So it is first pure. It comes from a holy God. It leads to truth in the confession of sins. It turns proud people into humble, grateful recipients of grace. This kind of wisdom is unstained from the world. There is no double-mindedness in it. It is fresh water only, not brackish in the least. But the wisdom from below is vile. It leads to more and worse sins. And next week, we're going to see those sins erupting in the church. There will be quarreling and adulterous idolatry in chapter 4. In chapter 5, the rich will get a sound rebuke because they have oppressed people and through their oppression killed them. This wisdom is vile. But the wisdom from above is peaceable. And we've seen this wisdom at play throughout the book of James. When we, in chapter 1, when we're encouraged to be slow to become angry. In chapter 5, we're told to be patient. And at the, the book actually ends with somebody who is seeking peace. He's going after a person who has wandered off from the faith. 
Well, the opposite of this wisdom, demonic wisdom, is quarrelsome. And think back to chapter one again. This kind of person who follows this demonic wisdom is quickly angry. And in chapter four, he stirs up fights and quarrels. But the wisdom from above is gentle. These are the behaviors of the meek. The wisdom from above blesses people. The wisdom from above is slow to take offense, very slow to become angry. While the wisdom from below, we get jealousy, pride, and boasting. This kind of wisdom leads people to speak and act in destructive ways. They are quickly angry instead of being gentle. And they curse and they judge people. We saw that in verse 9. But the wisdom from above is open to reason. And again, we saw what this looks like in chapter 1, 19 and 20. They're quick to listen, slow to speak. They are eager to understand. They are eager to be at peace with people. And if you look ahead in chapter 5, verse 16, they're honest people. They're open to reason. They speak the truth, even humbly confessing their own sins to one another. But the wisdom from below is blinded by pride. This kind of person doesn't listen at all and therefore cannot be reasoned with. They shut themselves off from the truth if, they don't, if it offends them. This kind of wisdom is, makes a kind of person who looks in a mirror and they really perceive nothing. It's kind of like the way I watch football. I, I stare at the TV and perceive nothing. I don't, I don't understand at all what is happening. Well, that's the kind of person who stares in the mirror, sees all the flaws, and doesn't, is like, eh, it's not that bad, walks away, does nothing. They're deceived. The wisdom from above is full of mercy and good fruits. I mean, think of all the things James has been calling us to in this letter. In 127, he's calling us toward acts of mercy and holiness. In James 2, he is cautioning us against partiality in our hearts, and he's pushing us to show mercy. Think of the fruits of the Spirit in Galatians 5. Well, on the other side of the spectrum, we have unspiritual and demonic works of darkness. So remember last week, demons produce no good works and they show no mercy. Or you could, again, look at Galatians 5 to see the works of the flesh. They are the complete opposites of the fruits of the Spirit. The wisdom from above next is impartial. So this kind of wisdom makes right judgments without regard to any personal advantage or without showing any partiality or favoritism. But we saw from chapter 2, what's the opposite of impartiality? Obviously partiality, but James says, if you practice partiality, you have become judges with evil thoughts. This kind of wisdom makes judgments based on personal ambition and favoritism. But the wisdom from above is sincere. This kind of wisdom loves the truth, even owning it when it's, when it's at fault. Again, this kind of wisdom confesses sins, just admits them. This kind of wisdom prays for one another. Instead of seeking its own good, it seeks the good of others. But the other wisdom does not own its own fault. 
It is boastful and false to the truth, deceiving even himself. And then in the end, we get two very different results. The wisdom from above produces a peaceful harvest of righteousness. But the wisdom from below has a very different kind of harvest. It's multiplied sin, and they have a chaotic harvest of disorder and every vile practice. So one of these wisdoms has the power to poison, kill, and destroy. But the other has the power to nurture, to give life, to make peace. And James warns us, we must not subscribe to the wisdom of this world. We must reject it. And when we sense pride in our hearts, bridle your tongue and confess the sin. Otherwise, we are double-minded and we are unstable in all our ways. The very opposite of steadfast. But James doesn't leave us without hope. He has already told us how to access this wisdom that is from above. How do we get it? Yeah, James 1.5. If any of you lacks wisdom, does any of you lack wisdom? Well, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. How is that for a good use of your tongue? Pray, ask God, speak to him, ask him to share his wisdom. And that is one request he always answers with a yes. And just asking means you're off to a good start because it requires humility. It requires you to say, I don't have this wisdom. That, that's true about me. I'm not wise, and I need it, so please give it. You are in a good spot. That is the meekness that is required to get the wisdom from above. And when we rely on God's wisdom, it does begin to transform us from the inside out. It, we will grow. Our faith will grow, as James is trying to help us do, so that we begin to replace evil lying and boasting with humble and sincere truths. For instance, instead of saying, God is tempting me, wisdom says, no, I am tempted by my own evil desires. Instead of saying, sit at my feet, the meekness of wisdom says, take my seat. You are welcome here. Instead of saying, I don't have to work, I have faith. The meekness of wisdom says, with the help of God, my friend, I will show my faith with my works. Instead of saying, tomorrow we're going to do this and that, the meekness of wisdom says, if God wills, tomorrow I will do this and that. Instead of bragging and making ourselves look good, the meekness of wisdom confesses sins to one another. Instead of cursing, the meek bless. Instead of quarreling, the meek pursues peace. Instead of grumbling, the meek patiently prays. So this text serves as a double warning for us. It warns us that our double-tongued words are the result of a double-mindedness that still clings to this earthly, demonic wisdom. But it throws us a lifeline in the accessible and pure 
wisdom of God, which is ours for the asking. So that's the application. Ask. Ask for wisdom, knowing that God delights to give it. He loves to hear you ask, and he loves to dispense it liberally. And then when the wisdom comes, submit to it. Repent the moment you sense pride, jealousy, or selfish ambition surfacing in your heart and bridle your tongue. Do not boast and be false to the truth. And second application, we do have something we should boast about. So replace your evil boasting with boasting in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1.30 says, Christ became to us wisdom from God, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Boast in Jesus. He is the best gift who has come down from above. He is the embodiment of perfect wisdom. And we could go through all these qualifications of wisdom and point to exactly how Jesus displayed them in his life. But I do want to just look at a couple places of, uh, in Jesus' speech in particular. So, in 1 Peter 2.22, we're told, He committed no sin, and neither was deceit found in his mouth. His speech was perfect. He was peaceable. He bore the punishment that brought us peace. When he was on the cross, he was abused with whips and words, and yet, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten. He could have used his mouth to threaten these people, but he continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. And the words he did speak on the cross, they were words of blessing. Father, forgive them. You want to boast? Boast in that. Boast in Jesus. He was the only one with good reason to boast. He had every reason to come to judge, but instead he came to save and to remake us. And now he stands in heaven, arms open, ready to answer all of our pleas for help and for wisdom and mercy with a gracious yes. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we will not boast in anything, not in gifts because we did not earn them, not in any power or influence you may have given us, and certainly not in our own wisdom, because we lack it and we need you to give us your own. But we will boast in Jesus Christ. We will boast in his death, which cleansed us. We will boast in his resurrection that remade us. And we will boast that he is ours, the wisdom of God incarnate. Oh God, forgive us for so quickly turning back to earthly, demonic wisdom and for boasting and being false to the truth. We admit we still stumble in our speech. So wash us afresh by the blood of your Son and give us wisdom to know how we ought to speak. And Father, for those of us who have deeply wounded others with our speech, Forgive us. Help us to know we are forgiven. And as much as we are able, help us to pursue forgiveness 
reconciliation and peace with those we have wounded. And for those of us who have been deeply wounded by the speech of others, will you heal us? Help us to respond as Jesus did with humility, with a heart that is just ready to forgive and ready to bless. And help us to glory in knowing what you think of us. Though we have sinned even more than we really understand, we are still your treasured daughters. And you will not hesitate to answer us when we call. And you will not withhold anything that we need to grow in our faith. And Father, we pray all these things just with longing in our hearts for the day that you will make us perfect. But until that day, we cling to Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen.